This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Hello, this is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. Thank you so much for joining us today as we interview our guest expert, Dory Kloss. Dory is a a speaker, best-selling author, coach, and consultant for almost four decades. Dory Kloss's transformational talks, training programs, and wisdom are born of a unique blend of corporate, entrepreneurial, and life experiences that have made her a powerful ally for leaders in transition who are interested in their own personal growth and and professional development. As a 20-year veteran of corporate America, a happily married woman of almost 28 years, and the mother of four young men and a little dog who are all thriving, Dory knows and respects the world her clients live in, speaks their language, and helps them to articulate what and who matter most to them so they can thrive, juggle it well, and spread the wealth. Through storytelling, depth work, deep inquiry, and fierce, fun, and meaningful conversations, Dory's clients find their way back to themselves, bring their best and most passionate selves to life, keep the spark within ignited both on and off the job, and give and receive more love in all parts of their lives. Among the many gifts of this work, they become the sought-after elders in their communities and cultivate the ability to nourish beautiful relationships and make meaningful contributions through the end of their rich and vital lives. So welcome, Dory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Michelle. I'm so glad to be here. So uh, you work with, as I understand it, people who are kind of going through what we would call the midlife crisis part. Can you talk about that a little bit, please? Yes, it's, it's not in the obvious way. You know, it's, it's the restlessness. It's the... Um, it's the sense that I can, I'll use myself as an example. I was 20 years in corporate America and I knew probably about three or four years before I finished my, that tenure, that I was nearing the end of an arc. There was, something was missing. Uh, there was a restlessness. There was a sense of, I feel kind of done. Um, and yet I, because I didn't know what else I might be up to and I was very good at what I did and I loved that world I didn't have the time or the energy or the imagination to consider what else mm-hmm. okay so so when you work with people it, it, it's not you said not in the obvious way and so when it begins to feel that restlessness um, is it just that they're ready to move on to a different career is it ready are they ready to move on to um, something different? Because we see so many people, when they get that restlessness, they start doing stupid things. They start uh, like going to extremes because they want to get rid of that discomfort. So what would you say about that? Um, You're right on. It is about trying to get rid of the discomfort. Um, But what often happens is the people I work with, I mean, they're, they're successful. They're successful, you know, from the outside in, you know, everything looks amazing. And actually for a lot of them from the inside out, it's fine too. But for a lot of my clients, when you pull the curtain back on their personal lives, um, 
things aren't quite so good. Uh, and for some, it's a hot, holy mess. And usually it's their most important relationships that are suffering, mm-hmm. beginning with the ones with themselves. Um, and what I see people do is they, 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 they're kind of being run by their inner taskmaster. Um, they, they get busier and busier, so they don't have to feel the discomfort that, that they're sensing or experiencing in various parts of their lives. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to ask the hard questions that they struggle with and don't know how to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these are people who are used to having the answers. They're used to handling things. They're used to getting stuff done. These are the high performers, high achievers. You know, and so this experience of not knowing, of holding the tension, of sitting in the question and not having the answer right away, that's not a skill set they've cultivated. That's not something they know how to do. And it brings enormous discomfort and Mm -hmm. self-doubt. And so what starts to happen is they get busy, they get really busy, they, and they stay really busy and they're, pri- they're proud of being really busy and very productive and, you know, being able to run circles around other people and do the, the stuff of three people's lives and raise their kids and run their companies and um, have their marriages. But then something happens like this. I say it's, it's in the unexpected or little ways, but it's not so little, actually. It's the little things that point us to the, mm, something's up. Um, and and uh, so, for example, with me. I was at a point where um, that was all at play. And one day I went into a dry cleaners to pick up my dry cleaning. And I had a broken button and it was the third time. And oh my God, you'd think it was the worst thing on the world that could have happened. And I screamed at the 18 year old little girl behind the counter mm-hmm. um, who recoiled in my presence and, and as soon as I saw the look on her face and her body pull back, I, I, I woke up, um, but it was already too late. The damage was already done. And I was horrified. Mm-hmm. At, it was like, who was that inside me that did that to this person? Um, and over a button, like, what's that about? And, you know, which part of me was that? Because it's not all of me. I knew that. And it didn't matter how hard I tried to apologize or fix it. She wasn't having it. She didn't want to have a thing to do with me. And I don't blame her. Mm-hmm. And then to make things worse, rub salt in the wound, I turn around and there's a line of people behind me. And they're all professionals. Mm-hmm. And so they're probably my neighbors or colleagues, people I might bump into in the workplace. It was kind of a company town. And now I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling like I just want to climb in a hole, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I'm getting a little teary. I just remembering it. But I, you know, I, I, you know, that's what happens. The fuse gets short. Mm-hmm. We, lose, we, we start to lose the capacity to contain all of it. And, and if we don't know how to express our stress or our discontent or feel the discomfort or the anger or whatever that is, it's willing up. We don't know how to express that constructively or if we just try to repress it and manage it, sooner or later, it's going to seep out. Sooner mm-hmm. or later something's got to give. And usually the people who pay the highest highest price are, you know, people like that girl behind the counter or are, you know, God forbid our family members, our kids, you know, because we can't contain it anymore. And, and, and then by that time, you know, it's, 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 it's probably more serious than we think. Yeah. All the collateral damage from us not, listening to where the discomfort is coming from in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
And so we, we do we get busier and busier and take on more and more tasks just trying to stuff those emotions. And we can't, can't stuff them because they're, it's a ticking time bomb. So is that how you felt? Um, I don't know that I was conscious of that then. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know now in retrospect and because I've done decades of work around it, but yes, I was absolutely a ticking time bomb. Mm -hmm. I was the definition of containment, like, you know, rigorously conforming, rigorously trying to fit in and do the right things, rigorously performing. And I loved most of it, so it, it was easy enough to do because there was enough alignment with my values, with my interests, with my skill sets, that that was fine, you know, but, but there's a point where there's not enough mm -hmm. alignment, and then what? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, when we looked at the principles, resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness, which of those four did you feel most drawn to? Um, we, well, as we talked, I, I mean, I could have talked about any of them because they're all so important and, and they're, they're a big deal. And you wrote a whole book about it and yay, because <laughs> you have those conversations. But the one that came up for me just in light of this conversation was resilience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what does resilience mean to you? You know, um, for, for me, I guess the core mantra that's been driving my life, certainly for the last 34 years, is uh, to say yes to life no matter what life brings. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and that, that more or less sums up what resilience means to me. I mean, the, you know, we can look in the dictionary and whatever, so you get up, you know, fall down, get back up, all that. Mm -hmm. But for me, it, it harkens back to a pretty tough experience I had when I was 24. Um, and my youngest sister, Alice and Joy, I was the oldest of four, and we were kind of more peas in a pod. And we were going to her wedding, and we ended up at her funeral. Oh, wow. She's 18, um, and she'd stolen her fiancé's gun and truck and shot herself in the heart. Mm, wow. And so, um, as you can imagine, that was devastating. Um, I, uh, I kind of saw it coming, and I was, had my own death wish. And so I wasn't that far behind her. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when that happened, um, you know, she was 18. Uh, you know, even now, girls don't typically kill themselves that way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, 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 and the message that I, I felt immediately was, you know, that part of me that tried to be the savior, you know, couldn't save. That kind of got alive in me. Like... I, I couldn't stop her from killing herself and I couldn't stop my family from imploding in its wake. And um, it was, as you can imagine, devastating. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in, I had gone out to where she was with her fiance. It was about a seven, eight hour drive from where I lived in Massachusetts. And uh, they were in upstate New York. And my brother came with me because he had similar experiences with Allison. Mm -hmm. So he understood. And, um, and when, um, uh, when we all went to, when the night that we knew for sure she was dead and her body had been found, I was sleeping in her bedroom in her fiance's house, mm -hmm. and her and her wedding dress is hanging up over the the door jam and this night light shining on it, and I can't sleep. It felt like I was in the house alone. I couldn't imagine that 
we weren't, you know, in retrospect, not, nobody was with each other. There was no touch, no consoling, no communal crying, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, you know, that's kind of a, a kind of violence, that kind of silence. It was kind of stunning, the lack of touch and tenderness and warmth and care for one another. And I cried. I cried through the whole night. And, um, and then I, I kind of pleaded. I, I pleaded and prayed and said, God, if there is a God, um, give me something, please. Give me something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and no lie, it was as if James Earl Jones was standing in the room right next to me. God came and said, um, say yes to life. Mm-hmm. And, and bellowed it. Say yes to life. And, and so powerfully that it, it rocked my world. And, and, I, and I said, you know, I don't know what that means really. And I don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. But okay, okay, fine. I'll give that a whirl. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the beginning of a 34-year journey to learn how to say yes to life, mm-hmm. um, how to find the aliveness and turn toward the aliveness, and how to make the tough choices that support that. And that, to me, is resilience. You know, if if you decide to say yes to life, the resilience reveals itself when we say yes to life and. We, you know, learn how to do that and we make a declaration. There's always a next step. That's resilience. Like the next step reveals itself. It, mm-hmm. it, it comes to us. Life lets us know, but we, we have to ask. We have to be willing. We have to be open to mm-hmm. receive. It may not come in forms that we normally get information in or that we normally recognize, like that night when I got that message. Um, but it comes. It comes if we're cultivating the ability to listen and to see and, and, and to hear. And so, yeah, that's what resilience is for me. Wow, that's a really powerful story. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, so how did you take the uh, say yes to life and, and run with it? I mean, what did you do with it? Because you said you didn't know what you were supposed to do with it. And you didn't even know what it meant. So how did you begin? Hmm. Um, it's in my worldview, everything begins with a decision, mm-hmm. period. And, and so I decided to say yes to life. And, and then became the journey of figuring out what the hell that meant. <laughs> you know, like in exploring, right? And, and getting curious. And, and so I can even, you know... I, and I would establish practices that would reinforce that. So, for example, we live in a culture that's very oriented around, um, you know, catching you in the act of getting something wrong, for example, or yes. focusing on the gotchas. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for, for me, the decision to say yes is also looking for what's right with you, me, and us, instead of what's wrong with you, me, and us. And boy, has that served me as a parent, for example. Mm-hmm. Very different parenting a toddler, for example, when you when you, um, you know, celebrate the wins and, and the things they're quote unquote getting right or, you know, honoring or paying attention to, as opposed to just always punishing and focusing on the things you don't like, mm-hmm. because we get what we focus on, right? We, we always get what we focus on. So the first step is to just decide. And, um, and, and it became really important for me to learn how to pay attention and to learn how to pay attention to tension. Like, where's the tension? Where's the 
discomfort? Where's the reaction? Um, and instead of just having a reaction, getting curious about the reaction. Mm -hmm. um, or instead of making a really quick decision, holding them in both hands and then saying, what else wants to show up? Mm -hmm. there's, there's probably many more options and some better ones if I'm willing to be patient for another 30 seconds or another five minutes or in some cases another. And these kinds of skills helped me in my professional life, because especially when I was in strategic planning and large program management or leading the integration of an $8 billion acquisition. <laughs> I mean, the, these same skills applied in my personal life, in my family life, and in my corporate life. Um, and so the more you get feedback about that and you see it working, the more you keep doing it, right? Mm -hmm. But it's counterintuitive. It's not how we're raised. It's not putting a happy face on things. It's not just being optimistic. And I don't mean to say that optimistic is putting a happy face. It's, but it's, it's looking for the yeses. It's mm -hmm. looking for opportunities to say yes. As a mother of teenage boys, I was looking for ways to say yes. And then I'd remind them that I did. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. Currency, it helped, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think another thing, another place, another thing that goes with that is really cultivating the ability to ask questions mm -hmm. and to not have to have the answers <laughs> right away, but to actually pause and ask questions and then listen and, and listen in different ways. Um, and and, 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 I, and then also part of it is um, you probably experience this all the time as a coach yourself. Um, is, this is the other thing. When clients come to me, it's a fair bet most of them will tell me what they want by telling me what they don't want. Mm -hmm. Right? So they've got a lot of clarity about what they don't want. But they don't have a lot of clarity about what they do want. Or if they have some clarity about the do one, there's kind of this weird fear to say so, what it is, to be explicit and articulate. And maybe because they'd have to own it and, and experience the disappointment if it doesn't happen or the joy if it does. Maybe it's because they don't know what to do once they say it. You know, it, who knows what all the reasons are, but right. come in with a lot of clarity about what they don't want. Mm -hmm. So a big part of my work with them is to get them into the focus of what they do want. Right. And then a lot of times they'll be focusing on, you know, making what came before, who came before, where they were before, the job they did before, the boss they had before, the spouse they had before, whatever it is wrong in order to make whatever it is they're going toward right. Mm -hmm. yes. Kind of good, bad, right, wrong dynamic, this uh -huh. either dynamic. And, and then they wonder why they're stuck. Because at some core inner level, at the, at the psyche level, at the level of essence, none of it's wrong. It just is. It's just the whole experience of their lives. And this attempt to compartmentalize shuts actually their whole creative process down and their whole growth and movement down. And so we have to kind of change their approach to the questioning and the languaging and the way they process their experiences in life. And I did that in my life. Um, and it's interesting because when I, like, I'll give you one example. I used to think uh, when after my first marriage and I was separated and I wasn't answering any of the phone calls of my friends and my colleagues and one of them got through to me and then we ended up going to lunch and she's like, what's wrong with you? Why wouldn't you answer? My I was like, I'm like a super downer. I don't want to be around myself. I don't want to be, I don't want to inflict myself on you. She's like, this is exactly when you're supposed to be hanging with your friends. This, you know, this is what we're here for to help you through the good and the bad and da, 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 da. 
So we go to lunch and I used to think all the people who made those lists of like the perfect mate were like neurotic and weird. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, in the, the must-haves, the nice-to-haves and the deal-breakers, right? And that's what we were doing at that lunch, you know, making our list. And um, we were getting clear about what we want, what we wanted in a partner in life and what we didn't want in a partner in life. What were the deal breakers? Where were we very flexible? And where were the things that just had to be in the mix? Mm -hmm. And guess what? Two weeks later on a Abbott ski club ski trip with that friend, um, I met my husband um, who I've been with now for 28 years. Mm -hmm. And it was check, 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 check. <laughs> and I had lots of people tell me, oh, you don't want to be with him. He's older. He's, mar he's, he's uh, got a son. He's, you know, it's going to be complicated. And it was like, you know what? It, if we hadn't both still been married when we met, which we were, but we weren't in good marriages. I was living in Illinois and my ex was in Houston. We were, you know, it was not, it was a marriage that was over. But if, you know, we would have been married you know, six weeks later, we were engaged five weeks after we met. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's been a beautiful thing. And, and so um, knowing what we want matters. It matters a lot. Um, and for me, that's a key to being resilient is to be willing to ask and answer those questions and say what we want. That doesn't mean like, I do, I do a lot of pro bono work with college students and friends of my kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, it isn't about what job do you want to take, what major do you want to have, what's the next class schedule. It's, it's about bigger things. Like I want to be financially independent. I want to have a creative outlet. I don't want to, I, I want to have time in my life for creative outlets. I want to nurture friendships that the kind of friendships where, you know, people, you know, each other so well, you come over to each other's houses, let yourselves in, make coffee, you know, know where all the, the secrets are and the thing, the keys are hidden and, you know, those kinds of friendships or whatever the thing is that matters to you. Right. And, 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 and so knowing that big picture and, and really anchoring in that vision and then reverse engineering our way into it so that we know what that means we're doing today and tomorrow and next week and next month. And, and that's the engineer in me, the program manager in me that <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I bring all those dynamics into my personal life and that it, I, I fundamentally believe that what works in our personal life works at work and what works at work works in our personal life. And all the people who come to me, these successful professionals who say I compartmentalize, I'm like, yeah, how's that working for you? Yeah, it doesn't because you get to be two separate people that are in conflict with each other. So it's just, or maybe three, depending on how many different compartments you have in your life. And um, I've always thought it was, well, I've noticed it with my children, you know, they would be one person at home, and then they'd go off to school, and the teacher would say something about how, how much they won't stop talking or whatever. And I'm thinking, are you talking about my kid? My kid is so yep. quiet, because yep. they were, were different in a different kind of situation. So yeah, it's really important. I, I appreciate that you uh, bring in the point that it's important because that that's integrity. This is who I am. This is who I am when I'm at work. This is who I am when I'm at home. And guess what? It's the same person. Mm -hmm. And, and one of, you know, like the, my, in my signature program, the courage to look within one of the tracks is, you know, the deeper dive and, and another track is taking stock. And 
a core element of that work is what I call parts and personas work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we live in a, in a society that, you know, in, in kind of new age spirituality kind of tries to make the ego wrong and, you know, and, and something else, right. You know, I don't know what, but, um, and yet like my ego, your ego got us to this phone call, right? Right. Uh, my ego helped, uh, it's like the scaffolding or the infrastructure of a business. If it's an aware ego, it can help me get things done in, that matter in this body, in this life. And so the idea, ideally, I want to have a healthy relationship with an aware ego that can serve as a chairman of the board of my personal board of directors. And I have lots of parts. And I need to call on different parts at different times for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do a lot of that kind of work with my clients. I do it with my, my, in my marriage. I do it with my kids. Um, it's like, which part of you said that? Or which part of you is thinking that? Or which part of you needs to show up for this challenge? Which part of you is in the bedroom right now wanting to have sex with me? You know, because I'm not sure I want to spend time with the regressed 14-year-old. I'd rather be with the really sexy and fun 68-year-old. You know, Mm -hmm. so, you know, who's here? I'd like to know. And I have to ask myself the same questions. Or my kids, like something might come up and I'll say, well, if I put my coach hat on, I'd respond this way. If I put my great mother hat on, I might respond this way. If I put my corporate bitch hat on, babe in total control of herself, I might respond this way. If I put, you know, and, and then they're like, huh. And, and now they have access to their parts. When we put on a uniform, you know, we behave differently. That's the point of the uniform. Instead of making, but, but what we've gotten to in our society, because in my opinion, we're so emotionally immature and unskillful. Um, we're afraid of emotions, so we haven't cultivated our ability to be with emotions and use them skillfully and communicate skillfully when we're having an emotion. And so we, we suppress it all. And, and I believe we've started, we use our costumes, we use our, our masks and our veils, we use our, our different personas, actually to avoid further wounding. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the process, we, we don't have access to the whole range of ourselves, and we never get to the core of ourselves, which is that true essence, that beautiful, perfect place. Um, we never get there because we're always defending from further wounding. Mm-hmm. And so a big part of what I do is help people know all their parts, have a relationship with all their parts, uh, find ways to work with all their parts. And instead of using them as a defense mechanism from further wounding, learn how to be with the wounding and the feelings and the experiences and go into and through the feelings that bring you on the other side is love, joy, and ecstasy. You know, it's, it's the rest of the feelings, you know, and, and then we can have, then we have range. I mean, it's what every major fairy tale, every epic movie or story is about. We're every character in the movie. We're every character in the, the story. Mm-hmm. Fairy tales have existed for thousands of years and it's the same story in different cultures that never met each other because these characters have universal qualities and attributes that are in each of us. Right. And, and, and so let's, let's get back in touch with those things. Let's get back in touch with, you know, in Hansel and Gretel, our impotent father. We all have a part of us that is impotent and incompetent and scared to death of that part. We, let's get in touch with our, Wicked stepmother, we stepmothers get a bad rap, but let's get in touch with our wicked stepmother who's in service to nothing, 
but self. Let's get in touch with the children that get abandoned in the woods and have to start to figure out whether or not they want to live and, and how to do it. Let's get in touch with the witch in the candy house that's also part of us that people like to make wrong in that story, but actually it's the catalyst for change. It, it's what wakes Gretel and Hansel up to realize that they want to say yes to life. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Gretel has to get in touch with her inner annihilator to kill the witch in order to free Hansel and herself and have a chance at making it in, on the rest of their journey in life. We all have an annihilator and a beast inside of us. With most of my corporate clients, that part of them terrifies themselves. Mm-hmm. That beast that's simmering just below the surface and ready to take off. Well, what if the beast needs an outlet? What if the beast should be released? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think that's very interesting because I've always felt like um, I, I have like a she-hulk inside of me. Um, and mm-hmm. and I, it, it's this, this rage, this absolute rage, which I developed in order to protect myself because I had an extremely abusive childhood. And, and so she was always underneath the surface. And I was so terrified of her because when she came out, she's just like re- total destruction everywhere. Mm-hmm. And she was terrifying to everybody, including me. Because she was out of control and, um, and very, very, very powerful. And mm-hmm. so I did everything that I could to keep her quiet and settled down and don't disrupt, don't disturb her. And um, Andrea J. Lee actually is the one who said, but what if she's your power? Yeah. And, and I'm going, really? Well, she, she's destructive. And she said, because you won't let her be your power. You won't let her help you do what she's trying to help you do. She's trying to help you. She's trying to protect you and you're fighting her. Right. So I found that really very interesting. And yeah, if you don't know what that beast inside of you is there for, and sometimes you should let them out to play because Mm -hmm. sometimes they need to protect you. And that's the work. I mean, the, the, the opportunity, and it's what I do with my clients, and it's, it's, it's part of the spiritual process, I believe, is calling all of our pieces back, having a relationship with our pieces and parts, understanding what those qualities and attributes are, what those forces and energies are, and, and how they might serve, and getting conscious enough that we can channel that energy consciously. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I have to fire somebody in the workplace, I could fire them. I have to call on my inner annihilator to do that because it's not fun. It's not something I want to do necessarily. But if I call on my inner annihilator and my great mother, who can be compassionate and firm, tough and tender, now I can have that hard conversation with that person and I can fire them while still honoring their worth and dignity. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they'll remember that for the rest of their lives. Yes, being fired with dignity as opposed to just being annihilated completely. Right. It's yeah. a very different experience. Mm-hmm. But that's part of the challenge for all of us is that we are all really powerful. But, but we don't know how to use our power well. And mm-hmm. to use our power well, we also have to tap into our vulnerability. Like that example I just gave. I have to be willing to feel, to imagine what it must feel like for that employee that I'm firing. Right. So empathy is really important. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. Thank you. We're going to take a small break and please come back as we continue our visit with Dory Kloss, who has given you some really amazing insights and she's got more for you as we come back in a few. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. And our guest today is Dory Kloss, who is a 20-year veteran of corporate America, and she's got a really amazing program in which she helps people who are re- what would you call it? Re-envisioning and redesigning their lives so that they can be uh, more authentic, happier, and so they can be who they really are. And I really like that. Um, she's a special friend of mine. She's, uh, I've done some work with her and she's probably saved my life in one of my worst experiences of my life. And I really recommend her. So, um, So, Dory, this is really, really powerful stuff when you go deeper into those um, different parts of us and uh, reintegrating them so that we can be a whole person instead of a parted out person. So, but it takes a lot of courage to do this work. So, how does that, how how do we find the courage to be able to do that? Because everybody likes to live the status quo Mm -hmm. and it's scary to be something different? I guess the, I think courage is one of those beautiful yet also funny words and hard to describe, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the day I I sat in that, I stood in that dry cleaners facility and watched the impact I had on that young woman um, was the day that um, a new level of courage got born in me um, because I realized I, I was so horrified by my own behavior and my own beast came out and I did not have enough consciousness to appreciate it and manage it. And, you know, I, I was so stressed out. My fuse was so short and none of that is an excuse or an, a good explanation for, for the impact that I had. Mm-hmm. And I made a conscious choice in that moment that I never want to have that impact on another human being, that kind of impact on another human being again. If I have anything to say about it, the minute we know something and don't act in alignment with it, 
we diminish ourselves and this life that we've been given. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so once we know something is important to us, whether we know what to do about it or what to do with it or even where to begin or what question to ask, it becomes important to, 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 to ask, to search, to look. Um, and when we don't, every day that we don't, we suffer. And the people we're in relationship with suffer. So um, I, I think courage is about having a relationship, not just with our mental constructs in our minds, but also with our hearts and, and, and our bodies. Um, and our bodies give us the sensation, our, our hearts, you know, uh, harness some of the feelings and the emotions and the um, but we have to be able to have a full range of emotions and, and, and be with what happens. So, um, again, I think courage is a decision. <laughs> um, it, it, everything is a decision. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, when I met my husband on this ski trip, we, were, we went up and down the lift lines a gazillion times, and he was actually carrying the feminine. He was very much creating the safe space and the container, asking lots of questions, and I was more the point, shoot, kill, action, action, action person. <laughs> and um, so he was kind of creating this soft space for us to become something, to get to know each other. And um, there were three questions he asked that um, led to me falling in love. And, um, and, I, and I think it takes courage to ask questions mm -hmm. and, and to listen for the answers and to communicate them. Um, and so he, he asked me, the first question he asked me is, who's the most important person? Hmm. And I said, me. And I don't know that I could have said that two months ago even. Uh -huh. but I'd had some bad things, more bad things happen. And, you know, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm a survivor of violent sexual assault. I'm a, a survivor of suicide. I'm a survivor of molestation. I'm, you know, I have post-traumatic stress on three counts. I understand hardship. I wrote a business plan to go into prostitution. That's the dark place I was in for mm -hmm. the first 20 years of my life. Mm -hmm. So to, I'd, I'd done a fair amount of work to, to try to heal some of those things and, and to be more centered in, in myself. But who knew I had so much more work to do from then. But my answer in that moment was me. I don't know how convinced I was that it was true, but I had some sense that it was the right answer or a good answer. <laughs> he nodded, he liked it. You know, it's kind of the old put the oxygen mask on, put yours on first so you can help other people. Right. But, but I was... I had enough clarity about it. And then the second question he asked was, what's the most important job of a parent? And um, I love my parents. I'm still in relationship with my parents. And our childhood was challenging. And it was, you know, like a lot of people, it was, it was pretty tough, more often than not. And I couldn't wait to get out of there. And I needed to get out of there. And I wasn't welcome to come home. So, um, uh, so I'd given it a lot of thought. But I, I'm not one of those people that's defining how I wanted to be a parent by not doing what my parents did. There were a lot of things that my parents did well. And so I wanted to take that and I wanted to study people who were doing it the way I wanted to do it so I could try to do it too, you know? And um, so my, I, I said three things. One, that we, um, that we teach our kids that they're loved and lovable. Mm -hmm. And 
more importantly, we teach them how to do that for themselves. And for me, my understanding of that at this point is presence, that I'm there for them. I, I see them. I'm interacting with them. And um, so I want to cultivate the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. And then um, number two, and that's independent of their appearance or achievements or any of those things, that they just are. And then number two, that we protect them. And, and, and um, to the extent that we're able, we protect them. But more importantly, we teach them how to do that for themselves, that they learn about self-respect and other respect and boundaries and how to say yes and how to say no and mean it. Um, and then number three, that we prepare them for the rest of life. Um, that if I die tomorrow, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that it's our job to launch them. I don't own them. They're not mine. They don't even owe me anything. In, in the grand scheme of life and at other levels of being than the personal psychological, um, I'm, I'm in service to them. I'm a steward. I have responsibility to them. But that's it. Mm-hmm. And then, right, whatever comes will come. And I can craft a vision around that and set intentions and take actions that align with it and hope for the best, but I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So it takes courage to bring a life into this world. Mm-hmm. It takes courage to invite a life into this world if you didn't birth it. It takes courage to put a stake in the ground for anything mm-hmm. and not know what's going to happen mm-hmm. or it will have control. And so for me, the, 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 it's a decision. It starts with a decision. And then we have to cultivate the mental capacity, the heart capacity, and the physical capacity, and hopefully the spiritual capacity to embrace the things we just put a stake in the ground for, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, and that's our work. And, you know, nobody's teaching that in school. Like nobody's, you know, we don't learn that when you get in your biology degree, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I, I, I hope that, well, and the third question my husband asked me just to finish that little story is that, um, may I kiss you? <laughs> oh. And with my kind of challenging history, that, that was a, a shock and awe kind of question for me uh-huh. because I realized in that moment that nobody had ever asked for my permission. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I hadn't required it of them mm-hmm. and that it mattered to me. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that's become a really important part of my work with my clients and my own life. My, my kids is this whole issue of, permissions and decisions mm-hmm. like what are we saying yes to what are we saying no to when when we say yes and no we we we, we get to hold the tension between those things and feel the yearning but don't need to act on it mm-hmm. that's that impulse control that we don't do in the midlife crisis stories right the um but but if we have emotional maturity if we have a, a strong vision and clarity about what matters and who matters most, then those hard decisions get easier mm-hmm. to make. Yeah. Which, is, which is, by the way, as important when you're making decisions in a corporate setting and putting hundreds of millions of dollars behind something. Do we go with option A, B, C? What are the trade-offs that we're making? And when do we know we need to backpedal or make a different decision or course correct? Same thing. Mm-hmm. Same. And that takes courage too. And who's willing to speak up and say, have we thought about this? And you know what? It's not going the way we thought. So maybe we need to pause. And you know, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You're right. So, um, how do you cultivate that courage? So if you 
if you have just kind of waffled through life and you pretty much haven't consciously lived your life, how mm. do you consciously cultivate um, this courage that's necessary to show up? Um, I guess I would answer that in three ways. Um, the three things for me. Um, and I do this work in my leadership training with, too with, the, with executives and, and leaders in corporate settings. But we have to decide early, in, as early as we can, as soon as the notion comes up, as soon as the question comes up, whether it's, you know, whether we're eight, <laughs> you know, or 80, I don't, it's never too late. But we have to decide at some point, what do I stand for? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what am I willing to do about it? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it. like, you know, I, I kind of look at like, think of a Venn diagram, right? And we like one bubble is doing one bubble is being and one bubble is relating. Mm-hmm. And in our Western to developed culture, we're, you know, we're very doing oriented. We're innovators. We're all about keeping score. It's all about performance, results. What have you done for me lately? Blah, 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 blah. We are really, really good at doing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and it's why my book is like, you know, from the boardroom to the bedroom, who are you being? Like, we don't spend a whole lot of time in the being bubble, <laughs> You know, like, and, you know, when, when that disgruntled employee comes up, comes to your office, are you solving the problem or are you just getting the tension out of your office, right? Mm-hmm. Or are, and, and who's greeting them? Your wounded child that can't handle conflict or your mature, aware ego and leader adult persona that knows that they have to help the employee solve their own problem, right? Or, you know, who's... And who's deciding to build those muscles? And so we have to do the work, especially if we're taking responsibility, you know, for bringing a life into the world, or if we're in a leadership role where we're, where we're having an impact on, on people, whether it's one person or thousands, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what's my leadership point of view? What do I stand for? Mm-hmm. And how, how do I know? How does that show up in my life? How has that been showing up in my life since I was two? Mm-hmm. And we have to, we have to mine for that. We have to mine for that. And then when, and then we have to know what we value. Like, I mean, not like on all the nice little long lists of value words and all that stuff, but, but I have a, I invented a system for, for value, for sorting for values and going deep, like deep into your core values, not your family systems, not your corporate systems, not your coaching communities, not your friendship communities, not your soccer teams, your values. Like the top five, the things that kind of you can see how they're having an impact on your life. And, and when you're miserable or when you're happy, how, to what extent are you aligning with your values or not? And what's that telling you? And then if you're in a relationship, it's, there's not just my values, there's your values. And then there's the relationship has values mm-hmm. or the work team has values or the corporation has values. And what happens when some of those are in direct conflict with each other by design? Like, how do you navigate and negotiate those things? And so instead of assuming we should all get on board and sing la, la, la and and be in agreement, we got to prepare ourselves for not being in agreement. We have to prepare ourselves for the discomfort that comes with that. We have to prepare ourselves for not knowing. We have to prepare ourselves for those differences. And then the last thing is we have to have, we have to be willing to communicate that. We have to learn how to articulate those things and be willing to share it knowing that our values might be different that are, you know, I want to take, uh, do option A, you want to do option B. So now what? We're at an impasse, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
and the and the way we sort through that is through fierce meaningful conversations that can be fun we have to get good at that mm -hmm. we have to decide to put the relationships first over all the positioning and posturing and everything else we have to get good at that mm -hmm. we have to check in and verify and make sense of the assumptions that are at work for us and we have to get good at that and then we have to have rules of engagement that create safe and courageous space for having any conversation and getting anything done. Mm -hmm. And you know, we have to make those agreements and we have to hold each other accountable and we have to get good at that. Right. You know, and so there's, I mean, this isn't a one and done, got it, we're good at this, right? It's mm -hmm. the, the courage, just like confidence and competence comes from kind of, you know, up in the playbook. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like my kids played football and wrestled. And the early playbook, when they're little, you know, they just got little flags on. And I remember when they were like five and the coach says, stretch the thighs. And I yelled to the coach, coach, point to the thighs. <laughs> I had no idea. You know, and then in the first year, they learn, you know, that there's an offense and a defense. And then in the second year, they learn that there's an offense and a defense and there are these positions. And maybe in the third year, they learn that there's offense, defense, and these positions, and maybe they have a preference and something they're be better at. And, and then, all, ooh, they, they have five running plays, but now they add a throwing play. Mm -hmm. And by the time they're in high school, they're winning state championships, mm -hmm. right? If, if they're lucky, right? And, and they're learning about teamwork and other things. Well, one of my sons was one of the team captains when their D1 high school team won the state championships. And then he goes to college to play football, and blows out his knee for a third time during the first two weeks of practice before the first semester starts. Wow. You know, he, he had no idea that that championship game would be the last game of football he ever played. Mm -hmm. And guess, guess what he said to us when we went up to, we were going up originally to see him play, and then we ended up more in a sorting out next steps process and grieving with him. But, um, but we went to the movies just for a little break in the action. And while we were standing online, he said, you know what, Mom? Dad, I'm going to have to find a new outlet for my beast. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Because he, he knew that was a sanctioned place to be a beast, uh -huh. to hit and be hit, to get dirty, to be rough and tumble and whatever else. And so now that part of him is going to need a new outlet or some, something bad's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And he, wow. had that, he had that awareness. So he had, and, he, and he had the ability to understand that that was happening and articulate it. And that's how we build those courage muscles. We, we, we know what we care about. We know what we stand for. We start to develop emotional mastery. We start to put a stake in the ground for what matters most. We start to hold ourselves accountable to doing, being, and relating in ways that align with that. We, we communicate it to ourselves and to other people in articulate ways out loud so that it's not a little secret that we can get squirrely about, you know, <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's, it, it comes over time, one step, one moment, one interaction at a time. Yeah. So it sounds like, like the growing up process needs to be a conscious and courageous and fierce kind of activity that we can do at any stage in our lives. We need to, I mean, your son is quite fortunate that you raised him to be able to be, have that awareness and nobody had the beast and needed to do something else with it. But some people are just discovering in the middle of or toward the end of their career that they have those different parts that need to be um, validated. 
and mm -hmm. all parts of us just want to be validated. So what do you have for our listeners today that can help them take the next step with that to cultivate those skills of courage and become strong and resilient? Um, yeah, thank you for that, Michelle. You know, if, if, if any of this resonates with your listeners, and I hope it does because this is such a vital part of having a rich and expanded life, um, the, 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 the best thing I can offer is, is to invite them into a conversation. Let's just have a conversation. And so they can contact me at um, dory at doryclass.com. Um, it's that's D O R I at D O R I K L A S S dot com and uh, put in the subject line. I'd love to have an exploratory conversation. Um, and um, I also will, uh, they'll find uh, when they do that, I, you know, that I have um, a guide if they're interested. They can, they can put that, you know, please send me the guide. It's, it's the seven secrets to cultivate connection, love, and resilience in your most important relationships. And so if you're, you know, a successful executive or professional in your mid-career and, um, and, and you kind of feel like you might be done, but you're not sure, and you're, or, or you're feeling restless, or you're feeling more fragmented and disconnected from your success, then it's right. Um, and and you want to explore that and take charge and, and feel whole again and feel connected again to who and what matters most. Let's talk. Let's talk. And then this, this guide, it's the seven secrets to cultivate connection, love, and resilience in your most important relationships. It can be a little, you know, maybe it'll be a little stimulus for you about um, some, some, topics that we could talk about that might serve you and 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 we can then explore what's next from there okay that's awesome dory so what what are you up to next what's your next um step that you're going to be taking right now huh so you know i i keep getting told by my clients and other people that i'm like this very well kept secret <laughs> so, so actually I'm working on, um, I, I've spent the last 15 years basically doing one-to-one -one coaching mm -hmm. for leadership and communications training in classroom settings, uh, with, uh, you know, team building and culture shifting in corporate settings. But um, what I want to get to is some on and offline group coaching. Mm -hmm. I want to do more of that. And I also am looking forward to doing uh, some public speaking, um, inspirational and motivational speaking in an interactive kind of way. So that's that's big for me as to kind of to, to take myself out of my, my um, you know, small, simple local environment and step onto a larger stage and, mm -hmm. and expand my reach and impact and risk whatever comes with that. It's me working on my own courage uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> in the larger world, right? Yes. Well, I know you'll be really awesome at it. So the last thing to leave our listeners with, what becomes possible for people when they decide to say yes to life and put their relationships first in this way? Well, the first thing I can tell you is that, um, you know, most of my clients, by the time they come to me, they're really, they, they get, they are always surrounded by chaos and turmoil and change. Um, so they know how to navigate that outside of themselves, but it's that inner chaos that throws them for a loop. And, um, and feeling um, the fear, the panic that starts to set in about um, maybe I only have 10 or 20 good years left in me, but I'm already starting to feel a tiny bit less relevant 
or you know these new people coming in it's like a wave and what about me there's and or how do i leave my company they still need me how, how do i design an exit strategy that you know is is fair to everybody and and so what comes you know with my work with them is clarity is is they get inner they they get that inner calm in the midst of the chaos and the resourcefulness that comes with it that they can bring to those questions mm -hmm. and it's very very powerful and then the other thing we work on it you know in that last decade or so of life in the workplace and for some people it'll be three or four decades but it's it's that be learning how to operate at the intersection of the personal and the professional and the practical and the spiritual and um, in such a way that they they kind of they look in the mirror and they like who they see again and mm. and and uh, they're like oh you know it, it's gonna be a good day and you're a good person and um, and that uh, that transitioning into um, that one of the upsides of aging one of the many upsides of aging is is the ability to pay it forward to 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 savor all that's come before to to package it up and learn from it and and teach or mentor um and become an elder that um is valued in our society and um while elder might mean a lot of things to a lot of people um that ability to mentor people and support them uh, as they're growing and changing is is vital mm -hmm. and we, we we you know i want my clients to know that um that that they matter and that they can um, give and receive love until the day they die that they can build flourishing relationships that nurture them till the day they die that they can make meaningful contributions to the day they die and um all of that begins with a decision mm-hmm Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dory, for joining us today. And um, if you're interested in learning more about uh, Dory, she's just awesome. Really, I suggest that you work with her. She's really, really good. And you can contact her. Would you give us that contact again, please, Dory? Yes, it's my email address at dory at doryclass.com. D-O-R-I at D-O-R-I-K-L-A-S-S dot com. Great. Thank you so much, Dory. I appreciate you spending this time with us. It was a pleasure, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.